Chapters 4 and 5 of The Angel of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. The Angel of Terror by Edgar Wallace. Chapter 4. All night long she had sat in the little bedroom to which Mrs. Renette had led her, thinking and thinking and thinking. She could not sleep, although she had tried hard, and most of the night she spent pacing up and down from window to door, turning over the amazing situation in which she found herself. She had never thought of marriage seriously, and really a marriage such as this presented no terrors, and might, had the prelude been a little less exciting, been accepted by her with relief. The prospect of being a wife in name only, even the thought that her husband would be, for the next twenty years, behind prison walls, neither distressed nor horrified her. Somehow she accepted Glover's statement that Meredith was innocent, without reservation. She wondered what Mrs. Morgan would say, and what explanation she would give at the office. She was not particularly in love with her work, and it would be no wrench for her to drop it and give herself up to the serious study of art. Five thousand pounds a year! She could live in Italy, study under the best masters, have a car of her own. The possibilities seemed illimitable. And the disadvantages? She shrugged her shoulders as she answered the question for the twentieth time. What disadvantages were there? She could not marry, but then she did not want to marry. She was not the kind to fall in love, she told herself. She was too independent, too sophisticated, and understood men and their weaknesses only too well. The Lord designed me for an old maid, she said to herself. At seven o'clock in the morning, a gray, cheerless morning it was, thought Lydia, looking out of the window, Mrs. Renette came in with some tea. I'm afraid you haven't slept, my dear, she said with a glance at the bed. It's very trying for you. She laid her hand upon the girl's arm and squeezed it gently. And it's very trying for all of us, she said with a whimsical smile. I expect we shall all get into fearful trouble. That had occurred to the girl, too, remembering the gloomy picture which Glover had painted in the car. "'Won't this be very serious for you "'if the authorities find that you have connived at the escape?' she asked. "'Escape, my dear?' "'Mrs. Renette's face became a mask. "'I have not heard anything of an escape. "'All we know is that poor Mr. Meredith, "'anticipating that the home office would allow him to get married, "'had made arrangements for the marriage at this house.' How Mr. Meredith comes here is quite a matter outside our knowledge, said the diplomatic lady, and Lydia laughed in spite of herself. She spent half an hour making herself presentable for the forthcoming ordeal. As a church clock struck eight, there came another tap, tap, tap on the door. It was Mrs. Renette again. They're waiting, she said. Her face was a little pale and her lips trembled. Lydia, however, was calmness itself as she walked into the drawing room ahead of her hostess. There were four men, Glover and Renette, she knew. 
A third man was wearing a clerical collar. She guessed this was the officiating priest, and all her attention was concentrated upon the fourth. He was a gaunt, unshaven man, his hair cut short, his face and figure wasted, so that the clothes he wore hung on him. Her first feeling was one of revulsion. Her second was an impulse of pity. James Meredith, for she guessed it was he, appeared wretchedly ill. He swung round as she came in and looked at her intently. Then, walking quickly towards her, he held out his thin hand. "'Miss Bill, isn't it?' he said. "'I'm sorry to meet you under such unpleasant circumstances. Glover has explained everything, has he not?' She nodded. His deep-set eyes had a magnetic quality that fascinated her. "'You understand the terms. Glover has told you just why this marriage must take place?' he said, lowering his voice. "'Believe me, I am deeply grateful to you for falling in with my wishes.' Without preliminary, he walked over to where the parson stood. "'We will begin now,' he said simply. This ceremony seemed so unreal to the girl that she did not realize what it portended, not even when a ring, a loosely fitting ring, for Jack Glover had made the wildest guess at the size, was slipped over her finger. She knelt to receive the solemn benediction, and then got slowly to her feet and looked at her husband strangely. "'I think I'm going to faint,' she said. It was Jack Glover who caught her and carried her to the sofa. She woke with a confused idea that somebody was trying to hypnotize her, and she opened her eyes to look upon the somber face of James Meredith. "'Better?' he asked anxiously. "'I'm afraid you've had a trying time, and no sleep, you said, Mrs. Rennett?' Mrs. Rennett shook her head. "'Well, you'll sleep tonight better than I shall.' He smiled, and then he turned to Renette, a grave and anxious man, who stood nervously stroking his little beard, watching the bridegroom. "'Mr. Renette,' he said, "'I must tell you in the presence of witnesses that I have escaped from a nursing home to which I had been sent by the clemency of the Secretary of State. When I was informed you that I had received permission to come to your house this morning to get married, I told you that which was not true.' "'I'm sorry to hear that,' said Renette politely. "'And, of course, it is my duty to hand you over to the police, Mr. Meredith.' It was all part of the game. The girl watched the play, knowing that the scene was carefully rehearsed, in order to absolve Renette and his partner from complicity in the escape. Renette had hardly spoken when there was a loud rat-tat-tat at the front door, and Jack Glover hastened into the hall to answer— but it was not the policeman he had expected. It was a girl in a big sable coat, muffled up to her eyes. She pushed past Jack, crossed the hall, and walked straight into the drawing room. Lydia, standing shakily by Mrs. Renette's side, saw the visitor come in, and then, as she unfastened her coat, recognized her with a gasp. It was the beautiful girl she had seen in the stalls of the theater the night before. "'And what can we do for you?' It was Glover's voice again, bland and bantering. "'I want Meredith,' said the girl shortly. <laughs> Glover chuckled. "'Ha, <laughs> ha! 
"'You have wanted Meredith for a long time, Miss Biggerland,' he said, "'and you're likely to want. "'You have arrived just a little too late.' "'The girl's eyes fell upon the parson. "'Too late?' she said slowly. "'Then he is married?' "'She bit her red lips and nodded. "'Then she looked at Lydia, and the blue eyes were expressionless. "'Meredith had disappeared.' Lydia looked round for him in her distress, but he had gone. She wondered if he had gone out to the police to make his surrender, and she was still wondering when there came the sound of a shot. It was from outside of the house, and at the sound Glover ran through the doorway, crossed the hall, and flew into the open. It was still snowing, and there was no sign of any human being. He raced along a path which ran parallel with the house, turned the corner and dived into the shrubbery here the snow had not laid and he followed the garden path that twisted and turned through the thick laurel bushes and ended at a roughly built tool house as he came in sight of the shed he stopped a man lay on the ground his arm extended his head in a pool of blood his gray hand clutching a revolver jack uttered an exclamation of horror and ran to the side of the fallen man it was james meredith and he was dead end of chapter four chapter five jack glover heard footsteps coming down the path and turned to meet a man who had detective written largely all over him jack turned and looked down again at the body as the man came up who is this asked the officer sharply it is james meredith said jack simply dead said the officer startled he has committed suicide jack did not reply and watched the inspector as he made his brief quick examination of the body a bullet had entered just below the left temple and there was a mark of powder near the face a very bad business mr glover said the police officer seriously can you account for this man being here he came to get married said jack listlessly i dare say that startles you but it is the fact he was married less than ten minutes ago if you will come up to the house i will explain his presence here the detective hesitated but just then another of his comrades came on the scene and jack led the way back to the house through the back door into renette's study the lawyer was waiting for them, and he was alone. "'If I'm not very much mistaken, you're Inspector Colhead of Scotland Yard,' said Glover. "'That's my name,' nodded the officer. "'Between ourselves, Mr. Glover, I don't think I should make any statement which you are not prepared to verify publicly.' Jack noted the significance of the warning with a little smile, and proceeded to tell the story of the wedding i can only tell you he said in an answer to a further inquiry that mr meredith came into this house at a quarter to eight this morning and surrendered himself to my partner at eight o'clock exactly as you are well aware mr Burnett telephoned to scotland yard to say that mr meredith was here during the period of his waiting he was married did a parson happen to be staying here sir asked the police officer sarcastically he happened to be staying here said jack calmly because i had arranged for him to be here 
I knew that if it was humanly possible, Mr. Meredith would come to this house, and that his desire was to be married, for reasons which my partner will explain. Did you help him escape? That is asking you a leading question, smiled the detective. Jack shook his head. I can answer you with the perfect truth that I did not, any more than the home secretary helped him when he gave him permission to go to a nursing home. Soon after the detective returned to the shed, and Jack and his partner were left alone. Well, said Renette in a shaking voice, what happened? He's dead, said Jack quietly. Suicide? Jack looked at him oddly. Did Buford commit suicide? he asked. Where is the angel? I left her in the drawing room with Mrs. Renette and Miss Bill. Mrs. Meredith, corrected Jack quietly. This complicates matters, said Renette, but I think we can get out of our share of the trouble, though it is going to look a little black. They found the three women in the drawing room. Lydia, looking very white, came to meet them. What happened? she asked, and then she guessed from his face. He's not dead, she gasped. Jack nodded. All the time his eyes were on the other girl. Her beautiful lips were drooped a little. There was a look of pain and sorrow in her eyes that caught his breath. Did he shoot himself? she asked in a low voice. Jack regarded her coldly. The only thing that I am certain about, and Lydia winced at the cruelty in his voice, is that you did not shoot him, Miss Briggerland. How dare you, flamed Jean Briggerland. The quick flush that came to her cheek was the only other evidence of emotion she betrayed. I dare say a lot said Jack curtly. You asked me if this is a case of suicide, and I tell you that it is not. It is a case of murder. James Meredith was found with a revolver clutched in his right hand. He was shot through the left temple, and if you'll explain to me how any man holding a pistol in a normal way can perform that feat, I will accept your theory of suicide. There was a dead silence. Besides, Jack went on with a little shrug, poor Jimmy had no pistol. Jean Briggerland had dropped her eyes and stood there with downcast head and compressed lips. Presently, she looked up. I know how you feel, Mr. Glover, she said gently. I can well understand, believing such dreadful things about me as you do, that you must hate me. Her mouth quivered, and her voice grew husky with sorrow. I loved James Meredith, she said, and he loved me. He loved you well enough to marry somebody else, said Jack Glover, and Lydia was shocked. Mr. Glover, she said reproachfully, do you think it is right to say these things with poor Mr. Meredith lying dead? He turned slowly toward her, and she saw in his humorous eyes a hardness that she had not seen before. "'Miss Briggerland has told us that I hate her,' he said in an even voice, 
and she spoke nothing but the truth i hate her beyond understanding mrs meredith he emphasized the words and the girl winced and one day if the circumstantialists spare me the circumstantialists said jean briggerland slowly i don't quite understand you jack glover laughed and it was not a pleasant laugh <laughs> perhaps you will he said shortly as to your loving poor jim well you know best i am trying to be polite to you miss briggerland and not to gloat over the fact that you arrived too late to stop this wedding and shall i tell you why you arrived too late his eyes were laughing again it was because i had arranged with the vicar of st peter's to be here at nine o'clock this morning well knowing that you and your little army of spies would discover the hour of the wedding and would take care to be here before and then i secretly sent for an old oxford friend of mine to be here at eight he was here last night still she stood regarding him without visible evidence of the anger which lydia thought would have been justified i had no desire to stop the wedding said the girl in a low soft voice if jim preferred to be married in this way to somebody who does not know him i can only accept his choice she turned to the girl and held out her hand i am very sorry that this tragedy has come to you mrs meredith she said may i wish you a greater happiness than any you have found lydia was touched by her sincerity hurt a little by glover's uncouthness and could only warmly grip the little hand that was held out to her i'm sorry too she said a little unsteadily for you more than for for anything else the girl lowered her eyes and again her lips quivered and then without a word she walked out of the room pulling her sable wrap about her throat it was noon before renette's car deposited lydia meredith at the door of her lodging she found mrs morgan in a great state of anxiety and the stout little woman almost shed tears of joy at the sight of her oh miss you've no idea how worried i've been she babbled and they've been round here from your newspaper office asking where you are i thought you'd been run over or something and the daily megaphone have sent to all the hospitals i have been run over said lydia wearily my poor mind has been under the wheels of a dozen motor buses and my soul has been in a hundred collisions mrs morgan gaped at her she had no sense of metaphor it's all right mrs morgan laughed her lodger over her shoulder as she went up the stairs i haven't really you know only i've had a worrying time and by the way my name is meredith mrs morgan collapsed onto a hall chair meredith miss she asked incredulously why i knew your father i've been married that's all said lydia grimly you told me yesterday that i should be married romantically but even in the wildest flights of your imagination mrs morgan you could never have supposed that i should be married in such a violent desperate way 
I'm going to bed. She paused on the landing and looked down at the dumbfounded woman. If anybody calls for me, I am not at home. Oh, yes, you can tell the megaphone that I came home very late and that I've gone to bed, and I'll call tomorrow to explain. But, miss, stammered the woman, your husband? My husband is dead, said the girl calmly. She felt a brute, but somehow she could not raise any note of sorrow. And if that lawyer man comes, will you please tell him that I shall have twenty thousand pounds in the morning? And with that last staggering statement, she went to her room, leaving her landlady speechless. End of chapter five.